Hi, everyone. I'm Chuck Saren, VP of Industry Marketing for MedTech and Life Sciences at Propel, and welcome to the Product Success Podcast, Quality and Medical Devices. I'm joined by Rachel Jang, a Senior Solution Consultant here at Propel. This podcast brings together thought leaders from the health and life sciences industry talking about compliance, quality, and product success in the medical devices. Before we dive in, you can find all episodes of this podcast under the resources tab at propelplm.com. Hello, everyone. Uh, today, I'm joined by Greg Yao from Zoetis and Rachel Jang from Propel. And, and we're going to chat a bit about product and quality in the cloud for drugs and devices in animal health. So first, Rachel, our consultant extraordinaire for Propel, we want to say a quick hello. Yeah, thanks, Chuck. I'm excited to be here today and talk to Greg. I think this is going to be a very interesting conversation. So uh, yeah, let's get started. Okay. And I'll do a quick intro for you, Greg, here. Uh, Zoetis, director of product lifecycle management, as well as working in the past at Teleflex as a manager of PLM and a design engineer and a master's of mechanical engineering. I'm a fellow mechanical engineer too, um, but also a design engineer at Cardinal Health, doing class two disposable devices, Sony, Bell & Howell, GM, Xerox. You've got a, a really incredible exp uh, experience list here, that's for sure. And I, I've looked up, and Zoetis does a bit of vaccines, bio devices, genomic tests, diagnostic equipment, and maybe, uh, Greg, you tell me a little bit more about Zoetis and your role there. Yeah, sure, Chuck. Well, thanks for the invite. Appreciate the opportunity to talk about our journey of PLM at Zoetis. Um, yeah, so uh, PLM is new to Zoetis as a company. Um, and so the reason why it was introduced or needed at Zoetis is because while most of the company is focused on the pharmaceutical aspects. We do have products, as you mentioned, the bio devices and the diagnostics, which are complex electrical mechanical software products, which undergo constant changes. And as you know, PLM is the best tool to manage product changes in. Um, and it was creating a number of challenges for us doing this on paper and trying to make sure we fully assess the impact of changes. And so that drove the, uh, the sponsorship of the project to get it kicked off and we went live uh, a few months ago and we're still continuing down our journey with getting started at least with one specific product line and a very specific focus of that product line. Great, great. Yeah, I know my, uh, it's kind of fun. My little eight-year-old talks about being a veterinarian about every other day. So I, it was fun to look at the products you make and the diagnostics and the, uh, all the testing equipment, a very wide array. Um, for yourself, how is it, you know, you went from med dev, aero, auto to animal health and pharma. How was that transition for you? And even from, you know, over to IT, but maybe talk a little bit about that transition. Well, most of my career, um, those earlier industries were very early in my career. So most of my career has been in med dev uh, for mm -hmm. over 20 years. And so I thought the transition from med dev over medical device over to the pharma world would be um, you know, kind of a like for like in a way, because it's both regulated and whatnot. But I came, came, uh, came to realize that it is drastically different, yeah. <laughs> a lot more different than I expected. Um, for example, the common thing that I hear is uh, when R&D releases a product and you guys just not change it. Um, that's just not, I mean, that happens in medical device all the time. Uh, components become obsolete, materials are no longer available. Inks no longer available. You name it, it's there. 
Whereas on the former side, I guess that's really, it's much, much more stable. And so that's also part of the challenge is saying, hey, you know, we once we launch a product, we have to continue to maintain it, to support it, to address issues, safety, obsolescence, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And so that was a big challenge. So the concept of design control and design history file, that is new. It's not something the organization would do on the farmer side, apparently. Um, again, I'm not heavily involved in the farmer side. It's just little bits and pieces I get in, in tuned into when I try to explain PLM and what we're trying to do. And they're trying to explain, well, this is different because this is not what they've been doing for the last 20, 30, 40 years. Right. Right. And yeah, interesting. Interesting that transition there. Um, I also, you talked a, a little bit about, you know, capturing that, the, that product design, right? Capturing the PLM. And, you know, I, I saw in some of your experience by capturing that voice of the customer and, and how are you working that through in terms of like feeding the, the voice of the customer or the changes as you go from like concept to next gen, the new variants or gathering post-market data, how are you kind of feeding that back into your product design today? Well, that's also an area where we're continuing to focus and mature on, just like with our product lifecycle management. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have a stage gate process where we capture, you know, needs and you build a business case and you go through and you, you know, you debed it out through proof of concept and onto pre-production builds and then finally into production. So those are all being captured and, and I would say are maturing our processes along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, we want to be able to tie all of that eventually into our product change management that we're doing in PLM. And so that's just, you know, like I said, we just started down the journey of managing our parts and bombs and getting to the point where we can start looping more of our, hey, you've got complaints, you've got a new feature request, whatever, linking all of that activity back into the actual change of the product is where we need to get to. Great, great. And I guess, um, you know, one of the things that's important is you've implemented a, a very successful implementation at Zoetis. Um, you've uh have, have now like you said it's just it's been several months now you've been in and and one of the things i know that's really important is to sort of recognize what is the value or you know how are we showing value within the system so i guess um you know it, it's sort of a, a value that i've seen at, at some of my past customers um where i've implemented qms and plm at a fortune 100 med dev is is to show like, you know, what are the most valuable things that for me, it was, um, you know, ex- extolling out the value of collaboration across the value chain and all the departments and specifically with supplier collaboration is one of the biggest, um, you know, communicating with your suppliers or minimizing the delays back and forth with SCARs or PPAPs or just miscommunications building the wrong rev. But maybe for yourself, how are you seeing the value today and it's sort of selling that across the organization? Yeah, I think within the R&D organization, selling the value um, is, a, is, I would say, more qualitative to say, you know, we want to have one place to find information, you know, to do where used. And people get the fact that they don't have to go to share, you know, all these different SharePoint sites, go mm-hmm. to this system and that system, and then trying to figure out what they're trying to do to get their job done. Um, when it comes to outside that organization, um, that kind of qualitative value loses its message, um, the strength in that message. And so I've been spending a lot of time trying to point out the quantitative benefits of showing um, turnaround time. And so, you know, I've taken the paper process with, the paper process is a little bit more difficult to document just or track your metrics on just because it just doesn't have the level of granularity that you'll ever have in 
and PLM or any kind of electronic system. But regardless, I took what I could, then I compared before and after to show, hey, you know, our turnaround time increased or decreased by, you know, X amount of days to show, hey, this, this is a huge improvement. And then the next question I got, well, what does that mean? You know, just because you've reduced your turnaround time, what does that actually mean to the organization? And so taking that next level up, okay, if we can increase our predictability, we can reduce our turnaround time, that means we can... Uh, be more predictable on when we launch a product to the marketplace, we can realize revenue earlier, and we can address safety issues earlier, any compliance things are more predictable. And those are all very important to driving the bottom line. And those, um, so I've been spending a lot of time leveraging reporting capabilities to, to point those things out and also asking, you know, the other organizations, what is important to you? What do you want to track? It's not just, you know, from an RMD perspective or my perception of what you want to track, I just want to know what what's your what's your value that you're trying to gain out of this platform. Mm -hmm. Great. Are you finding those uh, metrics and dashboards easy to put together? You know, and just from an administrative standpoint or a user standpoint. I think once you once you start thinking through and digesting, it requires a little bit of creativity. Just you know, creating it from scratch, I think, just requires some really deep thought and time to. Mm -hmm. How do you extract the data out of there and then present it? And how do you present it? Um, I got to a point where once I start to get to a certain, I would say, uh, point of, okay, now I'm starting to grasp how I can data mine uh, the data out of Propel and maybe add some additional fields to capture additional data. Um, so one of the things, for example, we want to track is our scrap and rework costs. So we already had that from the beginning, but now I can trend that over time. And then, you know, what's we had in the field later on, this is what's driving the scrap and rule costs. And that was one of the big um, selling points for bringing PLM into Zoetis. Yeah. So now I can actually speak to, okay, now that we understand why this is here and this is actually how much we're spending on scrap and rework. That was a big point of contention because you can get the reports out of, out of SAP, but uh, sometimes the way that the cost is recorded isn't always clear that it's due to a particular thing just because it's it's a transactional. It could be due to inventory shortages. It could be due to defects. It could be due to a number of things. So now that we have a very black and white in one system as to what exactly is going on, um, we can now have much more data-driven discussions rather than decisions and discussions based on emotions or perceptions about what's going on. And that goes actually to the bottlenecks as well. You know, mm -hmm. how do we streamline our process? Where do we spend our time to streamline our process? How do we improve our turnaround time? Great. So, what kind of bottlenecks? Um, you know, I know that you're doing like full, like your full approval process is now is is that fully automated as far as you know the different cross functions that need to approve and and finding out maybe where that gets stuck. But what what are some of the bottlenecks that you might be seeing or feeling? Well, I knew the number one bottleneck we had before we went live with PLM was the turnaround time to get an approved change implemented into the ERP system. Hmm. So that was the number one thing I targeted for go live. We have to track that. And so now I've, I'm tracking it in great detail. And that's what I put a lot of metrics around on the paper process to compare before and after. And we've seen significant improvements with the before and after. There's a number of reasons for that. Um, but now that I have that, now I can also track our bottlenecks within the process. 
So, you know, as an example, you know, uh, we had a discussion a few weeks ago about, you know, how can we get people to turn around approvers of approval times on change requests faster? Well, when I look at the actual metrics in the system, our bottlenecks wasn't the ability to get change requests approved. Our bottleneck is now our ability to get the changes done, not implemented, but actually, you know, design work done, drawings updated, and that get, now that we know that, so we're just going to end up shifting and keep working. Okay, we'll address that bottleneck and we'll address the next one and the next one. And again, it's all database you know, driven information. So we can take it to any organization that's part of any bottleneck and say, hey, this is what we got going on. Do you understand the impact? What can we do about it? And it, it's, it's been helpful. We've already seen uh, most, you know, different sides of the aspects of the organization take a look at this information. Sending it out on a monthly basis provides visibility. And mm -hmm. in and of itself, that actually applies pressure because if you have metrics that show trending, not just a snapshot, because I think snapshots are, they're limited in use. They right. tell you what is going on at that point in time, but am I getting any worse or am I getting any better? And that puts, I think, puts some uh, inherent pressure on people to not show worsening trends. And that seems to be helping as well. That's great. Yeah, that real time visibility where it doesn't the snapshots get antiquated reports get antiquated but having that dashboards that are showing those very relevant you know key decision points so who's you know who's taking the longest who's late why is this product being held up yeah all of those uh those are great metrics to uh to be tracking um i guess uh maybe just from a again seeing some of the value um you know you're now in a, a cloud system right so you talked a little bit about the past versus now. So what, what are some of the values um, that you're seeing in, a, in, a, in your cloud system? And I, I think you may have called it true cloud in, in the past. Yeah, sure. So uh, as you know, we're using Propel, it sits on Salesforce. And so um, versus my experience in the past with an on-prem application. And what I've seen with what we have, you know, Salesforce, they just push updates, you know, I think it's three times a year. And everyone receives them. So the, the base platform is always being updated with the latest features. And then Propel itself is always updated. And you know, in a previous actually Sim Data conference, there was another presenter who actually showed what happens when you don't upgrade a period of time and the impact it actually has to the organization with not keeping up to date on your applications. And my experience with an on-prem application, or even if you take that on-prem application and host it elsewhere. The scope of work and the impact is still the same. You still have to shut it down. Um, you still have to do a, you know, a migration of the data from one system to the next. A lot of validation activities required in order to get you to that point. So you're talking you know, three to four month project uh, to get that system upgraded and to try to convince the business to spend money you know, three months a year upgrading your system, it, it's a hard sell. You, you, at best, you might be able to get you know every other year, even though they realize not upgrading them is not going to get all the features and stuff that may address other potential business challenges. And so being on the cloud is a, a true cloud, what I try, call true cloud, where everything is always being updated at the same time. It's not hosted. Everyone's been upgraded. Um, you can realize that value of the platform as it evolves. Um, and I, I've certainly taken advantage of the features. I, we went live uh, in March and the, spring, the fall release came out. But before we got to the validation piece in our project, I'd actually, there were a couple of new features I took advantage of. And luckily they were released just before we got to the point of needing to move from our sandbox environment to a validated environment. Um, 
those were important features for me. So I, I jumped on them. Ah, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a good story about the, uh, the quick validation be able to take advantage of upgrades, you know, really fast as, as they come and be able to pull, you know, pull when you want to, you're not forced to upgrade, but you actually choose when you want to upgrade. In this case, it was very fast because you wanted to do it right before go live. Um, yeah, I think that's one of the biggest benefits of Propel is, is that really quick upgrade. And, you know, we, we do push it whenever the customer is ready. And then is, and then it's about 10 minutes of maybe a few configuration updates after that, and you're ready to go. So it, it's, it's really nice. I know all of the customers love it. Yeah, that's a huge difference. I mean, my, again, man, my, my previous life managing um, an on-prem application, at the same time, you're like, oh, well, Windows has updated its latest version of server. Do you want to upgrade that? Right, and then you end up okay. Now you get into the latest database version, latest you know whatever other extraneous software that goes with that base application. All has to be upgraded, all has to be installed, all has to be validated in multiple environments. And there's a downtime when you do the cutover and everything else, and all of that is not in in play anymore. It's it, like you said, it's Rachel. It's ten minutes. It's instantaneous. There's no downtime, and it makes a tremendous difference. Uh, with the experience of the application and being able to keep up to date. Okay. Yeah. Great. Um, yeah. Being natively on that that pl a common platform here because we're we're working within your existing infrastructure. So I, um, it, I'm assuming that that's creating a lot of confidence in terms of security or just the ability to you know just constantly support or have the support that you need you know to keep everything up and going. Not to mention all of the the speed that you talked about. Well, actually, you know, support is another important element because when you have an on-prem application, getting whoever your vendor is for your application to support you, you're going to have to either get them access into your system, which means access into your network, or give them a database dump or whatever it is. It's a long process just to get them some basic information to solve what could be potentially a five-minute fix. Whereas what we've seen here on when we had support, you log into the application, you can see what's going on. You don't need us involved in it, you're already in it. And that's also a tremendous benefit uh, that it, it's hard to appreciate until you've actually been part of the whole support process in the back end yeah. that uh, it can make in resolving problems. Okay, very good. That's uh, that's great to talk about the the values you reap there from you know just the infrastructure, the security, the you know, the upgrades, the uh, validation. I mean, obviously validation is a huge part of this. And if you're doing your validations quickly, that's uh, that it gives you a lot of advantages to be quick and nimble and take advantage of, uh, you know, the any of the upgrades a year and when you want to do it once a year or, or more, um, you know, whatever, whatever works for you and your team. So that, that's great. Um, I guess to transition a little bit into, um, you know, kind of where you're going. So again, you've got this great foundation, a lot of success. Um, but, you know, one of the things to think about is where do you want to take this now going, you know, you've got this awesome foundation of product lifecycle management, um, documentation, a good, you know, a good infrastructure. But, you know, there's other areas that, you know, we see a lot of our customers extend to, um, you know, product and quality, of course, is a huge value stream, right, where they both complement each other, whether it's product tying to quality or quality, you know, isolating and determining which part or component or supplier is the issue. But, you know, there's other pieces that um, I, I think could make sense, or maybe you're considering things around maybe service and field service or marketing 
but you know, kind of what are from some of the big items that uh, are kind of next for, for your implementation? Well, like I said, we started with one product line and we want, we need to expand to the other product line mm -hmm. we started with the basics of parts and bombs. Um, you know, we're going to be building an interface. We, like I said, uh, these, all these requirements documents, stage gating documents, what we call them, or the med device would be like your DHF documents. We need to get basically continue to migrate all the product related information that are sitting in the extraneous systems um, into PLM so we can get it into a one-stop shop. That is ultimately the goal for that. And then in terms of the other aspects for service and quality, those are, all, um, I think those are definitely ongoing discussions we'd like to move towards. Um, service has a lot of great potential. Uh, we're looking at using service cloud instead of the existing service application we have now. And when I described what we could do to the service team, they said, wow, that, that sounds too good to be true. If you can make that happen, that would be absolutely fantastic. And what they described as being too good to be true actually was pretty basic stuff. They were just looking for within their, say, service cloud piece, they're at a customer site and that customer has an asset or more that it's related to the product that they bought. And it basically it would be, you know, contain a set of hyperlinks for all the part numbers in essence that are sitting at that on that asset. And they could just click on that and it would take you right back to the drawing that they need to use to service that equipment. Now, that was the part that they said was too good to be true. And that's actually pretty basic stuff. Yeah. On our end, the part that's almost too good to be true um, would be um, every time they issue service orders, they have all the, you know, we'd like to have all those parts in that service cloud asset. And those service orders would be against all those different part numbers. Mm -hmm. So as they start to generate, again, this is uh, down the road, but once they start generating service orders against these parts, now we can say, what's our reliability on these devices? And since we have all of this metadata sitting behind all of our different parts, now we can say, hey, this is what we projected to be reliable. And this is what it actually is. So like, for example, you know, we can say how reliable is our electrical versus mechanical? Then we could even break it down further. How, how reliable are our motors versus our sensors and on and on and on. So we can slice and dice it many different ways and this is why bringing in product quality and all the other elements drive even more value because now you can see the more holistic picture about what's going on with the product. And again, more data-driven decisions rather than being the squeaky wheel or the loudest voice in the room so we can drive towards better decisions and more productive ones for the organization. Yeah, that's a, a very, very powerful use case there of understanding what is at your in your case, farms, which equipment is at the farms and, and what each farm has or which business has and knowing their assets specifically. And then, yeah, tying that back to the, the product record or the, the, the actual products and, and knowing all of that information, like, the, like you said, that just creates a tremendous amount of value. Um, I've seen service used to, to grab the right drawings, right? So they know very quickly, like, hey, I need to do this you know, service or repair procedure on this particular moment. And, and I've even seen where we identify the parts and know exactly which part it is very quickly. Um, you know, that was something that once we put, you know, product lifecycle management in and then added quality um, at, at a Fortune 100 med dev company I, I, I deployed for globally, we captured all of the quality events, which were like depot repair or service requests. And also tied that to the products as well. So you get that, that really that insight into the pulse of what's going on, not just for the product, but what's happening in quality. And of course, you know, your, your service examples were awesome. 
Um, so th that's just kind of tying those together. So I might lead that into a little bit about the, the value of, you know, product and quality. I know you're, you're still working on, you know, kind of um, further extending, like you said, products and bombs and product lines and extending all that value out. And you can only do so much at, at what time. But is there any sort of strong use cases or ideas you have around product and quality and sort of envisioning anything quality that you, you might do next in the future here? I mean, you talked about having the DHF already, you talked about, you know, accomplishing a lot of your, um, a lot of your documents, you call them the stage gate docs and, and other documents, but any other quality ideas for the future? Well, I think the first one that comes to my mind are deviations. Yeah. Um, because in essence, you're creating a, a temporary revision that we want to be able to track and have visibility to from within PLM because that's, where, of course, where our released revision is. And so we need to understand exactly what the status of those are, what the expiration is. It's a lot based, time based, all that information to be tracked and reported on. And then I think engineering needs to be able to see that information because if they have, um, let's say they're launching a new product that is using one of those, that's going to end up being sucked into or impacted by one of those open deviations. If it's not in PLM, they're not going to necessarily know what is going on. So they may have tested the device towards the as design spec, but maybe what's being shipped is something slightly different. And so that's very important to be able to have that visibility. So yeah. that's where I'd like to move it next on the quality side. The complaints is, is a, another element, again, to tie that in together. But I, I think the more in me and me from my perspective is the deviations. Yeah, I hear a lot. Like we have a lot of customers that sort of lead with quality. They have a quality initiative and usually they're finding or observation around complaints. We hear it all the time. So they're, they're sort of lead with quality, but um, you know, some of the more, uh, I guess visionary companies sometimes start with the product first and, and get all of the parts and the bombs and the documentation in place and then you know add quality. So it kind of depends on the organization as well. But seeing that value of those together is is really that multiplier or that that um, it can really create incredible value streams to working having those tying together to, to your point with deviations to the point of complaints to identify the medical device, but then also very quickly to investigate and understand you know, is that a problem with a specific part or component? And then, you know, which countries is it in? Which supplier or AML is associated to it? Um, which assets, where is it located? Before you get to Kappa, to be able to identify those things extremely quickly um, before you head down that, you know, deep quality path of, uh, you know, that sometimes can take quite a while to, to get all of your actions and plans in place. But to know what that, that impact is right away is, is kind of what you're touching on right there is, some, some next important things. Um, you mentioned a little bit about, um, you touched on maybe ERP a little bit um, in terms of that also being, uh, when you do your approvals, you get to you know, a certain point within the approval process of, of a ECO or a change and getting it ready to go to ERP. Um, and then you talked a little bit about ERP also earlier. Um, what is uh, what are some of your ideas around uh, integrations to ERP? Yeah, sure. So the uh, I mean it's pretty basic or typical I would say is obviously the bomb. Um, the bomb now everyone maybe I shouldn't say everyone. Some people take the approach of the E bomb versus the M bomb. Um, we are taking the approach of the manufacturing bomb is what we are specifying from the very beginning. So we don't have to worry about translations or mistranslations. 
of the information that comes out of the engineering team into manufacturing. Um, so this way we're able to keep the interface very straightforward. There's no transformations. It's just, you know, whatever's in, in PLM and approved and released is what we want represented in SAP exactly. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, there's our ERP system, you know, it's SAP, which has a lot more data than we're ever going to contain in PLM. We're not trying to replicate ERP, obviously, but, you know, things like the part number revision, you know, the very basic stuff, um, you know, for new parts, we'll need to be able to send that across. And then, you know, what does the rest of the SAP process look like and make sure we map that out and understand what that, how that interface is going to work. So we're working through that design right now is, um, and then once we get that finalized, we'll start development. Okay. Very good. Um, I, well, I look forward to talking more about other, you know, sort of futures with you, um, whether it might be suppliers and, and extending the supplier portal out to them, or maybe, you know, EIFU, where maybe you just need your user manuals available to the doctors or the veterinarians or the farms. Um, or maybe I, I think with met, you know, with the I was reading up a little bit about devices for, you know, for veterinarians, right? Um, how, you know, the CVM is, you don't really have quite the regulatory, you know, stringency that I think, you know, some other uh, medical devices might have um, for humans, of course. So I don't think you have to do quite the pre-market approval process as deep or reporting like adverse events or defects. Um, but, you know, some of those things I noticed are optional. So I definitely look forward to talking about some of these things about product registrations or IFUs or adverse events and, you know, in the far future here. So just some topics that uh, we can touch on and check back with you maybe in a, another year or so on some of those, right? Um, I guess as, as maybe a, a discussion next, is there, is there anything else that you'd like to kind of chat about or any other thoughts that came up today that you'd like to kind of dive into a little deeper? You know, I think, um maybe more of a kind of an open thought if you know as we our company ourselves have launched a digital transformation initiative and you know you can read just about any trade magazine about you know digital twin whatever digital thread it goes you know there's lots of different ways that people refer to this kind of thought process or or technology used to support your product and really trying now that we're in the cloud Honestly, this kind of helps some of those discussions, but also tells me there's a lot I need to learn. That landscape is complex um, and trying to understand what the value, um, if it applies to our products at Zoetis. And um, so that's that's one element I think would be of interest to me and in digging into that. You know, I, I already have my hands pretty full with the ROI on PLM, but you know, just thinking down the road because those are pretty big initiatives to take on are there, you know, just kind of germinating that seed and, you know, spending that time to start to learn it over the next few years so that when I'm ready, I have a better understanding of its value and, and the potential it could bring to the organization. But it's complex and I'm not, I, I, I'm not clear on how it works and that there's a lot of marketing talk about it, but I'm not sure how much of it's hype versus how much is reality and beneficial to organizations outside what I'd call the planes, trains, automobiles industry. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that is an interesting topic. Um, it's something I delved into a little bit at my at my past company too, where, you know, what what is something that's plausible and easy to do versus something that you, you know that is you know sort of pie in the sky, huge, huge vision. Um, for me, it was uh, dealing with service and and making sure that the service people have the right repair procedures, kind of like that we touched on earlier, 
And, you know, those are source of truth in, in the PLM and QMS system. Um, but making them available in, a, in another way, like say, for example, augmented reality is the, the one that I did where we provided the, all the steps, the sequences of the repairs that need to happen just as it occurred in the procedure, but in an AR um, type of presentation. So that's, you know, an example of one digital, digital capability that, that is uh, of high value very quickly. So that, that's great. That's a, a good one to extend out to. Um, and look forward to hearing more about that digital transformation as you go too, as you start to think about what's, what's next. Um, I guess we can start closing it out then and, and maybe just some thoughts um, around, you know, any words of advice or any key takeaways for, you know, some of the folks listening on, on some of the things we talked about today or how, how to proceed forward with their implementation. I can really open that up to, to really anything you, you see as, a, as a words of advice here. Yeah, I think your the implementation is going to be run the gamut. <laughs> um, I would say, generally speaking, my experience is to start simple and add complexity. I've seen an experience, and it really doesn't matter if it's PLM, any big process platform that you're trying to roll out. Um, if you try to take on the whole thing all at once, it's going to be a long, long journey. It's going to take a long time to get live, and then it's going to take longer to realize the value. And I think that just adds more doubt, and it actually adds more, uh, even more stakeholders into a process um, than if you've just gone live with the basics and then build on a basic. Because once you, the most important thing is once you're live, you you think you understand how it works, but you really don't until you're live, mm -hmm. because then then you've got the human element, the people using the system maybe in ways you hadn't expected, or maybe asking questions that they hadn't really realized until it was live. And so that's, I, I mean, by far, that's where I would always start. Even if your scope of your project is, you know, 10 million, $40 million, and you want to cover all these product lines at all these locations, start small and get it up and running, go for the quick win, don't go for the grand slam. It's going to be challenging. And the last thing you want to do is risk failure. Yeah, that's a that's great words of advice. I, I think the thing I often try to say, and and we talk about is, is yeah, the the success build on the success. Have a great foundation, but also have a solution that's very extensible, so that you can adapt to your business processes, not be confined to something that you know the system has has boxed you in, but have that extensibility to to grow, to adapt, to change. Um, I think the other thought, um, you know, as I'm, I'm almost saying my kind of key takeaways here is um, also kind of start anywhere, go anywhere. So, you know, you guys started with, you know, some of the product and product lines and bombs and changes and, you know, some customers we have start with quality and then products, some start with both together. So you can really start anywhere, go anywhere, um, you know, integration points that are important up front or later like ERP, or as you talked about, if you're on the you know, common platform, let's take advantage of some service stuff. Those are all things you can grow into. Um, so I think that's, uh, I think those are the things that I, that, you know, your, th your thoughts sort of drive for me. Um, so I guess at this point, I think we can close it out. Any, any more last thoughts from anyone else um, or any other ideas? I think that was really great advice as far as starting small. That's what I, I see with a lot of implementations is trying to go too big and then it ends up taking too long. And just like you said, Greg, you know, you never know exactly what's going to happen once you do go live as far as having users use the product maybe a little bit differently than you expected. 
you know, you do all the testing and think everything's ready to go. And then, and then you, you've got your end users coming in and asking questions that, you know, didn't really cross your mind um, during the implementation. But yeah, I think starting, starting small and then extending out was great. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, thanks, Rachel. I know you've done so many successful and many years of implementation. So that's uh, that's a, a good. Yeah, interesting to see too, you know, where, like you said, you've got some people starting with PLM, some people starting with QMS, and mm -hmm. you see the, you know, benefit to, to both. So that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, good points. All right. Well, Greg and Rachel, I really thank you for your time and your expertise today. Um, Greg, amazing insight. And we really look forward to, uh, you know, your journey. So Edis's journey and, and kind of you just extending and, and extending that footprint across that entire enterprise. So this is a really great conversation today. I really appreciate your time. No, you're welcome, Chuck. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys grow with Propel. All right. Yeah, take care. All right, bye-bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to subscribe to be notified when a new episode is posted. And please feel free to share it with a colleague. If you have any questions you want answered during an upcoming episode, please send them to podcast at propelplm.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.